Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and on this episode, the Reverend Dr. Kevin Adams is back to discuss Psalm 66. We had a wonderful conversation. We talked about the placement of the psalm, the ways that this psalm has these different sections highlighting who God is for me, who God is for his people, who God is for the whole world. We talked about the ways that abundance and discipline are not opposites, but go hand in hand and quite a bit more, actually. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I certainly did. To get us started, here's Kevin reading Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for humankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Kevin, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Matt, it's always a pleasure to be with you in any situation, especially on a podcast. (laughs) This is, I think, this is the hottest recording I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Temperature-wise or live mic-wise? Well, we'll see. We'll see about the (laughs) live mic, but definitely we've got a fan blowing, which maybe listeners will be able to hear, maybe not. The door's open to let in any semblance of cool air because the AC is not quite working, but this is commitment. Or Kevin. to let our hot air out. Yeah, something something right. like this that's is commitment. Right. We are committed people. No, I appreciate you being with me to talk about this psalm. It is my delight always. Uh, in is. the spirit of being uncomfortable for as little time as possible, let's dive right in, I shall love it. We? Let's do that. <laughs> what stood out to you in reading this psalm? Oh, this psalm is uh, really amazing in its own way. Mm. I probably could say that about, and we could say that about every psalm. For sure. One of the questions, as someone who's written a couple books, one of my one of the things that stands out is its placement. Hmm. So it's sixty six, right? So right. you think about sixty five, which you did with Amy, who I thought you did a beautiful job as a conversation host and uh, participant. That was great about the Lord's abundance, right? His right. just these wonderful images of the fertility of the earth, of the of the beauty when everything is working the way it's supposed to, and this psalm kind of echoes that. Yeah, And 67 will be this kind of almost excursus or explanation or prayer form of the ironic blessing the Lord 
bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Yeah. And both are to all nations. And then in between is 66, which is kind of this interplay, right, between one person and the whole group of Israel, the whole church, so to speak, and the whole world. So again, mm-hmm. you got Psalm 67 saying, all nations should praise God. You got Psalm 66 saying, yes, all nations should praise God. And 65 says, yes, our God is a God of abundance. So it, yeah, that that kind of placement stands out. And then that interplay between it's both personal. Yeah. He did this for me. He loves me. He takes care of me. And it's for the whole church community, mm-hmm. right? The believing community. And it's for everyone. Yeah. I could go on for a while, but it's <laughs> it's that's a place where I'd like to start anyway. Well, that, I think that's a great place to start. It is one of the, it's almost, you can break down almost by sections. Sort of the psalmist is like making sure they're hitting sort of all the earth and then sort of the community. And then it ends on this like very personal. Very personal. Note. I was struck by like how much the word come, the invitational right. nature of this psalm. So like come and see what God has done. That's in verse five. And that's kind of broad. And then it's come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Right. In verse 16. And there's more. There's the promise of the psalmist that I will come to your temple with burnt offerings. There's like deeply invitational language. And then one thing that stood out to me is it's concretely tied to what God has done. Right. So it's not come and hear a set of doctrines that fit together perfectly and are attractive and exciting. Not come and hear this sort of fantastic story, this sort of myth from long ago that tells us things about God. It's come and hear, come and see what he has done. And those are concrete things. And so it just struck me. And it makes, even as you're talking about Psalm 65, how concrete and tangible right. that it's Psalm, Psalm 66. Abundance. Yeah, Psalm 66 seems to be kind of just continuing in that vein. Look, God is a God who's involved. Here's, here's a God who, who is working not just sort of on behalf of the people, but in my personal life, right? which is just really, yeah, it's a really rich invitation, I Isn't think. Isn't it? It makes me think uh, our church is less so this way, but some traditions of the church are, can I get a witness? So mm. the preacher will preach mm. something and he's not warmed up until people are echoing back, come on, preach it, come on, come on, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Some places in the South, some other contexts where that's expected. And there's almost that going on here. I'm going to tell you about how great God is. All right, give me a witness. I'm going to tell you how great God is by saving the church. All right, let's have a witness. And then at the end comes this witness. Now, let me tell you my story. Yeah. And how this is not only true in a deep way, but true for me, as you said, in such a personal way. Yeah. It's true. Which I love, you know, the, yeah, the testimonial nature of this psalm. I guess lots of psalms have this, but there's something about this psalm, the way it's pairing it. Right. with kind of the whole, the various other kind of invitations and almost calls to worship, really. It just made it particularly kind of poignant, I thought. Should we talk about our second question, what we learn or how we encounter God in this psalm? Because really this psalm is all about God and what he's doing, isn't it? Yeah. And done. There, there are a lot of things to say, I think, together. One is I'd go back to what I said before. I'm curious... I'm imagining the editor at his desk or her desk. Were there 200 psalms to choose from? Were there 300 (laughs) to choose from? What made the final cut? And then what made you put 66 right there? Yeah. Conceivably, it could have been 65. It could have been 66 or 67 or anything else. But uh, I think part of the reason is it tells us about this is a God of me, a God of us, and a God of everyone. Mm. And other psalms do that, of course, in different ways. But this, as you said, it's almost like there are choruses. 
okay, now we're going to talk about the whole cosmos praising God. Now we're going to talk about the church praising God. And now we're going to talk about me particularly as part of the cosmos and as part of the church praising God. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. There's this interesting, verses 10 through 12 are pretty interesting in this conversation too. So you have this abundance of Psalm 65, and the psalmist appears to be in a place of abundance, and yet there's this little almost excursus. Right. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. There's almost a version of this psalm, like speaking of editors again, where it's like, oh, you can just drop 10 through 12. <laughs> like, oh, the psalm's a little easier. That's, that. that's true, isn't it? You, you know. can imagine an editor saying, that doesn't fit. It yeah, doesn't fit right. with 65. But then you have the psalmist saying, oh, no, it exactly fits with 65. 65 is no weak or thin abundance. It's yeah. no cheap plasticky, I get everything my way. God is not a genie. You rub his lamp and you get what you want. God sometimes... Well, he sometimes disciplines us, to use a Hebrews, book of Hebrews phrase. Yeah. Sometimes uh, it's just the misery of the world. Yeah. And sometimes it's he wants us to sort of name our sin so he can save us. Yeah, that's so good. It is as if to worship God properly, we have to be honest about who God is. <laughs> that's right. Um, and who we are. Right? And who we are. Yeah, totally. But here, I mean, even there's like a close reading, the care of the psalmist here. There's both active and passive language in the ways that the people are refined. So there's a sense of God brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back as if God to test and to refine like is directly engaged. But then also there's ways that just sort of the he allows people to ride over their backs. There's a sense of both God just sometimes steps back and allows things to happen and sometimes is directly engaged and kind of leading in. And I, I'm struck by the psalmist is clearly looking back and identifying this as kind of testing and refining in hindsight, which is often the case, right? Like, it's often harder for us in the midst of something to say, oh, thank you, God, you're refining me. You're right <laughs> Thanks now. for that loving uh, correction. You know, but right. then we look back and maybe we, we have more clarity. But uh, I, I really appreciated that the psalmist maintained, left this in, so to speak. Uh, it made the uh, cut. That of. it made the cut, that it's helpful. Okay, this is one of the ways that God is engaged in our life, right? Through this kind of refining work through, yeah, this kind of testing of us. Yeah, it's so good, Matt. It's it's like the psalmist wants us to know testing and discipline, or I'll put it this way, abundance and discipline are not opposites. Mm, mm. Um, sometimes as parents, we can be tempted by that. Sometimes as a church community, we can be tempted by that. Oh, to have someone flourish, they don't need some correction, but correction and flourishing are tied together. Yeah. And God is, of course, the only one who's perfect at it. The rest of us do our best and get it right sometimes and wrong other <laughs> yeah, times right. but he's reveling in the god who gets it right yeah. every time oh that's a, that is a good that is a good word <laughs> i'll give you can a witness I get, a, can I get a witness can i get a witness <laughs> let's i i have nothing to top that for sure let's move to our third question then how does this help us to pray yeah i feel like we've said this before but it's worth repeating because it's a wonderful reality of the book of psalms this book this psalm reminds us that we pray with in community. Mm. We are, even when we're praying by ourselves, we're not by ourselves. Even when we're praying alone, we're not lonely for sure, or we're not alone. You know, we're praying with the whole church community. And even when we're praying something personal and celebrating what God has done for me or our people, the church people, so to speak, 
there's no uh, big step to celebrating how he's good and he will save the entire cosmos. Mm. So it's personal without being all about me. And it's, yeah, it's wonderfully cosmic and concrete at the same time. So I don't know. I think every time we pray the Psalms, you know, you've heard me say this a million times. You'll hear me say it a million more times. <laughs> I hope we live long enough for that. That uh, Thomas Merton, this wonderful monk said, you can never be more sure you are praying with the Holy Spirit than yeah. when you pray the Psalms. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit has given us the Psalms and says, here's, here's what I want you to pray. Here's a place to start. And this Psalm is a reminder that when we pray the book of Psalms, we're with the community of the saints and we're inviting the whole world to join in. It's like missional and community oriented all at the same time. Yeah. How do you, this is, this is a bonus question that I didn't prep you for, but you know, one of the things I think about sometimes is how do we experientially and imaginatively enter those realities? So, cause it's one thing to know them. Right. Right. And it's another thing to kind of enter that in our prayers. I, I, went at a worship symposium i went to a lecture by lester ruth who talked oh, about sure. i think he's a professor at duke and he was talking about sort of the necessity of playfulness in theology and i'll never forget this he talked about you know one of the ways we might imaginatively enter kind of worship is by maybe you look up and you see well the the ceiling is so high well, i wonder if that's space for the angels right and sort of suddenly you're sort of your whole imaginative framework of the room is swept up into something grander. And that's always kind of stuck with me as sort of, okay, that's a way, right, of helping us enter the grander narrative. And so just as you're saying, sort of we're praying with the community, I'm like, well, what are imagine like these kinds of imaginative ways for us to help engage that? This is a bonus question. I wonder if you have any ideas, oh, though. Oh, I love that. I'll just make the observation that it feels like some traditions of the church are better at that than others. Mm. And you're not going to be surprised if I quote my Orthodox friends who I think understand this. Yeah. They, they, they would say they're not imagining angels. The angels are there. Yes, right. And they help us remember that they're there. And our friends at St. Anna's in uh, Roseville are building a building that will help them. You know, at some point, they'll, they'll have two or three million dollars worth of mosaics that will remind them the angels are there because they can see the angels as uh, yeah. a kind of iconic art. They'll see the prophets, they'll see the, the apostles, they'll see uh, all these images that evoke the reality of what the Psalm teaches us, that everyone, everyone's in the room as yeah. we worship, that mm. we are with the saints of the past, we are with the saints of the future, we are with those apostles who've gone before, we're with the angels. And I think in our Protestant tradition, we've been a little afraid of that. We have a bit of a tradition of beating up icons, <laughs> unfortunately, right. and some things. So I think uh, we could help that. I think for us, our tendency would be to frame that with words, yeah. which we just did. Like, can you imagine, like you're talking about the professor from Duke, can mm. you imagine? So stirring the imagination is great, but maybe it's a good reminder for us to say both and, both our words, but turn some art loose as well yeah. and help us, our, help our imagination or even beyond our imagination, the reality mm -hmm. to be stirred. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, when I use imagination, I certainly don't mean sort of imagine in the sense of like it's hallucinations. Yeah, no, right? I understand. It's, it's the imaging part of our kind of person, right, in right. our minds. Of course. I look over here and I actually like I have a little kind of icon that a friend of mine, he, he partners with someone who does these wood, wood kind of oh, carvings. But it. that's uh, Perpetua in the corner of my office, which obviously no one can see. But I bought that as a reminder when I was having when I'm having pastoral conversations. So she's this 
woman in her 20s who's martyred, and it's one of the earliest Christian women's writing. We have her diary, so one of the earliest writings of a Christian woman that we have. And here, like, her her father's coming to her and saying, you know, just turn against Christ, come home, turn turn from Christ, like, just deny, at least deny him verbally. And she says, no, 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 I can't, I can't, and is martyred for it. But I like bought that intentionally well both to support my friend but also just to have a sense of the presence of god's people in pastoral conversations that it's not just like it's not at all about me disclosing some kind of wisdom but of us kind of sitting together so yeah that's helpful pointing to art i appreciate that one other thing that i when it comes to prayer there's something explicitly about prayer in this psalm in verse 18 if i had cherished sin in my heart the lord would not have listened there's actually something almost didactic in there. And I read that at least, and I think, gosh, I feel like I'm always cherishing sin in my heart. So this is <laughs> right, right. And I don't even want to tell you because I'm cherishing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. But I thought, you know, there's a reminder. We all, we all, I think it's easy to talk about the need for authenticity kind of in prayer and kind of bringing ourselves. But I think sometimes there's just a start in naming, almost naming the things that we are tempted to cherish right that we're holding and think this is this is the tradition of confessing and why the church has long said confession is so important because the act of confession i think begins to sort of tear down the cherishing just a little bit yeah and sometimes you might need to confess the same thing many times but i was just struck like the psalmist is pointing us here to an authenticity and prayer of naming you know you don't you don't just get to in other words gloss over and you don't just get to offer the pious words uh you bring your full self Right. To God. I thought, oh, yeah, that, there's something in there about prayer. For right. Sure. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I've told you before how much I appreciate the Sunday prayers you write. And they really echo this tradition of the church. This, mm. They participate in the ancient liturgy, right, of naming, of confessing our sins. Yeah. Not in general, Lord, I'm sorry for all my sins, but naming them specifically and particularly. Yeah. And by you helping us do that, it gives us freedom then to... Uh, receive absolution, receive God's grace, and to move on. Some people say, because sometimes it's true that the church avoids sin and avoids its own sin. Right. And they say that because it's true, but it's also true that the liturgy at its best has a remedy for that. Yeah. The ancient liturgy we receive is like, name your sin, be specific, receive absolution, and then as Jesus says to the woman, don't sin anymore, Yeah. receive right. grace. Yeah. One day I'm worried that people will glom on to the fact that the specificity of our confessions are obviously flowing from my own life. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, where's the inspiration where's for what's these Matt struggling coming with this from? week? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I worry yeah. sometimes, but oh, you know, you're the, the, safe hands. That's, that's you're why human, and so are we. That's why the assurance of pardon always comes very quick. Yeah, that's <laughs> good quick call. After, yeah. yeah, that's good call. Kevin, any other reflections on Psalm 66? Well, what a wonderful way to end, right? Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Mm. I would bet without having the Hebrew in front of me that his love is this beautiful word chesed, which is God's faithful covenant, never run away from you kind of love that is abundant. And it would be even more fun if that word was at the very end. So if the whole Psalm ended on chesed, Mm. I don't know that it's true, but the verse surely does. (laughs) Yeah, right. Representatively is true that God, this is a celebration of God's, faithful overflowing never-ending gracious love what a way to end what Not a way bad. to end indeed i think that's good enough to end end our conversation too thanks for joining me kevin always a gift matt
Friends, I don't even need to read a final verse because you just heard it from Kevin. So just, just, that's hardly the right word, but go out and in their fullness, pray the Psalms. 